I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and this week's archive edition focuses on idiosyncratic Swedish filmmaker Ruben Ostlund as we discover more about the pair of his breakthrough films, False Majeure and The Square. I said, when we started the project, I said that we had two main goals. First one was to create the most spectacular avalanche scene in film history. And the second one was that we should increase the percentage of divorce in society. (laughs) So we begin in a ski chalet in the French Alps with Ruben Ostlund's 2014 film, False Majeure. An exploration of how one uncontrollable event can shatter a father and his family into pieces. Let's learn more about the emotional explosion of Oslund's film with the director. Well, well first of all, I, I, I started out as a ski filmmaker. I was filming skiing in the Alps and, and, and a little bit in North America and a little bit in Scandinavia. And I have always, since I quitted making ski films and left the ski world and started on film school in Gothenburg, I've been looking for a way to get back into that environment. Mm. But it has been really, really hard to find a topic that is... Interesting enough, you know, people are dressed in neon colors. They have these mirror Google lenses and it's a very kitschy world. But then I saw a YouTube clip on on internet of a group of tourists sitting high up in the in the mountains in the French Alps uh, on an outdoor restaurant. And they are watching an avalanche that tumbles down a distant mountainside. In the in the beginning, they are like, wow, beautiful. Wow. And the avalanche cracks up and gets bigger and the sharing gets louder and like in three seconds, the sharing go, goes from joyful laughter to screams in total panic. And I thought it was so interesting to have those two different moods mm. in life so close to each other. One, one thing that we want to experience, things that are exciting, and, but the, next, the, the thing that we really don't want to experience, like fear of death, uh, was just ha- happening just so close to each other. In the, in the YouTube clip, it's, it's also only the snow smoke that reaches the, the restaurant and, and people are fleeing in panic and then they have to go back to their seats. And I really love the, the feeling of shame that they have to deal with because they were feeling, oh, maybe we lose, lost control, maybe we were exaggerating. I would like to compare that situation with something that I always think is funny and tragic at the same time. You know, when you see people are on a zoo uh, and they are watching the lions in the lion pit Mm. and suddenly there's someone falling into the lion pits. It's always something very humoristic in that very, very tragic moment. Like human being thinking that we can control the power of nature, the force of nature, and suddenly we are in the middle of the danger of it. And so that was like the starting point. And 
I was thinking of putting a, a family on this outdoor restaurant. I told about this uh, situation to a friend of mine that is an actor, and he has a lot of guilt in his body. You can see that he has done things in his life that he's ashamed of. And the day after he heard about uh, the avalanche situation, the avalanche scene, he came back to me and said, what if it's only the father that runs away? And I immediately, when he said that, I, you know, I had a feeling in my body, wow, this is what the film is going to be about. This, this is the, the starting point of, of, of the feature film. Where do you come from? From Sweden. Sweden, yes. very good. I'll make you the beauty picture together. Come on. One, two, smile, good one. The film starts with um, the, the family being photoed. Uh, mm. and, and, and I think that immediately sets the idea in your head of the, the perfect family. We have here the perfect family. But then you kind of, I suppose, for exaggeration, you explode that family or you, you take that dichotomy that family apart? I think that there's a lot of different things that I'm interested in that opening scene. One of them is that if you look at the commercials when it comes to uh, holiday, mm. uh, it, it's like we are projecting this is payback time for the man. Now the man should spend time together with his wife and his kids because he has been working so much. And, and a lot of times when you see commercials when it comes to holiday, you can see that it's the woman sitting in the sun chair with a drink in her hand, watching the father play with the kids. You have all those kind of expectations on, on the, the vacation and on the holiday, and they are trying to live up to this expectation. They are trying to live up to being the perfect and happy family. It's also that, like the way that the, the photographer is arranging this picture is it's very easy to, to put it in the way that we are looking at them. Okay, they are the perfect family. For me also, I mean, being a man and being a woman... And also being being a child uh, in the nuclear family is playing a role. Mm. So Thomas is playing the role of the father. Ebba is playing the role of the mother. And he's supposed to pr be protect, uh, protecting them or like being a little bit higher than them, put, her, put his arms around them and things like that. So they, they, I think there's a lot of things that is showing on our expectations when, when we look at that, um, arranging that picture. How much time did you spend sort of casting and getting your family right? I was looking for, uh, for an example, I was looking for the actor for Thomas, uh, the one that is most painful watching when he's trying to lie. Uh, <laughs> the one that is really struggling with not losing face in front of other people and then put himself into a corner where he's very, very insecure. So, you know, some actors, they are almost like psychopaths, you know, they have no problem to lie at all. They can say, no, I didn't run from the avalanche. It's, your, it's just your uh, perception of it. It was just your perspective of what happened, but I don't agree. But with Johannes Balkunk, yeah, he could really, really express the feeling of he's lying and we can see it. <laughs> but we, we still have, we still understand why he had put himself in that position. And I think that the same thing with uh, Lisa Lovenkongsli that plays Ebba that I was looking looking for someone that you could see the conflict taking place on the inside. This was a very hard film for me to make because all the other films that I have made is very practical situations. People are just relating to each other in a room. And uh, if one character goes from here over here, then something happens. But this time, a lot of the conflict is a very emotional thing that I have to deal with. So on, on the character of Ebba, I was looking at her face and is she ex expressing the, 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 the conflict she feels inside? Things like that, I guess. And, but in many ways, I also wanted them to be like a little bit of a picture-perfect couple. I wanted them to have everything that we are aiming for in our society. Mm. They live in a five-star 
hotel. They have two beautiful kids. They are beautiful. He is successful when it comes to the work. But still, I just want to, yeah, crush that family. <laughs> <laughs> What's quite interesting as a, as a viewer is that you kind of help us to to question because we see this this couple's relationship through the, the eyes of the children. We even yeah. see it through the, the eyes of the cleaner. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I think that uh, exactly what I was aiming for with the different other characters that they should highlight a different perspective of looking at like the nuclear family lifestyle. I mean, we have Charlotte, also the promiscuous woman that, that is living in this open relationship, and I think that a lot of the decisions I do when it comes to the film is to turn over our expectations. For an example, if you look at Charlotte, uh, in the end there's like a bus ride. And she's the only one left in the bus. Everybody else think the bus would crash crash down a mountainside. And here's comes here comes a spoiler alert. Then, but Charlotte is a character that always is killed or punished in any way in other films, you know, mm. because she's not living this nuclear lifestyle that she's supposed to. And then she has to die in the end of the film. But in my movie, she's the only one that catches her flight and goes away to the airport, and everyone else is punished in some way. So, but I wanted those those different characters to highlight the, highlight the couple of Thomas and Ebba, of course. And I mean, for me, the the cleaner is also maybe putting in a little bit of a class perspective on it because. Mm. He can't relate 100% to the kind of problems that they have. <laughs> and, and, you know, the other thing which I think I find quite fascinating is the fact that not a lot happens. I mean, not a lot in a, in a standard, no. you know, a thriller, an act, action film as such. But the title, that's, that's the thing you have before you go and watch this film. And it's a very, it's a very powerful title. Mm, yeah. I mean, for Forrest Major, that's a word that you, at least in Sweden, you get connected to the first time you're traveling because when you are having an insurance, it's like the, the, the legal term or force majeure. And I mean, for me, that's exactly what is happening in, in between the couple. I mean, there's, left, there's a force majeure. Something have happened and all the other rules that were not usable anymore. They are, they are not, you can't rely on them anymore. They are totally new ground that they have to deal with. For me, I mean... Since I have been interested in, in the way that the expectations on gender, like when Thomas is running away from the family, when he's supposed to protect them, even though no one gets hurt, they still have a huge problem. And this is actually true when it comes to incidents in real life also. I, I've been reading investigations about airplane hijackings. Mm -hmm. And you can tell of those investigations that the frequency of divorce is extremely high between couples and, and families. And of course, this is also about that you see a side of your partner that is, I don't want to continue to live with this egoistic person <laughs> that doesn't protect his family. Um, yeah. There's also, there's a sense of humor. I think, you know, let's, let's not forget that. I, I love, like, for instance, the uh, credible accordion playing uh, accompanied by what sounds like cannons, but it's in fact the yeah. sort of, I think it's the, the maintenance of the, of the hillside. Yeah, it's, uh, it's called Gasix tubes. And if you have been in the French Alps, they are quite common. They use them to trigger avalanches uh, when, when the, when the ski, ski system is not open. But I wanted to use them as that. That's like they are, they are in a war zone. <laughs> they, <laughs> 
and I mean the whole ski resort in itself is quite interesting because the modern ski resort that was created in France during the, the 50s is uh, a total economical plan. They were not knowing exactly what to do with the, the nature resources in the Alps and suddenly someone came up with the idea, yes, yes, exploit them and make ski resorts. They had a 30-year plan of building 300,000 be of beds in that region in France with its quite astonishing and it's really changed the the lifestyle of scandinavian and also great britain the, the 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 culture of what we do when we go on holiday and also there's something that's almost like a metaphorical level when it comes to the ski resort because there's a constant struggle between man and nature mm. we have the civilization and it's just placed in the middle of the wild nature and in the wild nature, we have the forces that can be released. And humans have a lot of inventions to try to control that force. We are grooming tracks in the snow. We are blowing avalanches. And yeah, we have all those lift systems going up <laughs> and down the hillside. So even though it was not my intention from the beginning, then when I was making the film, suddenly I realized, wow, it's going to be a metaphor what's happening in, in the yeah. family. We're trying to control the force of nature and we are yeah. trying to hide it under, under something that is a, a civilized facade. It's also the idea of the, I think, the, the contract of marriage. And I mean, I'm, I'm interested in how we are signing to that contract because I think we do it without even think about it. Mm. I think that if you look at the kind of culture that we live in, for example, look at the, uh, the Anglo-Saxon cinema. I think probably the most reproduced character in Anglo-Saxon cinema is the man as a hero. Mm. Uh, maybe it's the woman as a sex object. That's probably more reproduced. But, but the man as a hero is, is, is very common. And if you look at the structure of a lot of American films, there's a family that lives in peace. Suddenly there's an outside threat. So the father in the family has to use violence uh, to restore uh, the normality. And when he has defeated the, the enemy, he can go back and live in peace again. I think that we also have to look at those films in a very critical way because they are used of reproducing an ideology. Because if we don't have movies that say that men should be loyal towards something bigger, they should stand up for a country, they should, they should be able to use violence if, if we need, then it would be impossible to send young men into war. Mm. These kind of, of, of characters that are reproduced actually is also a way of building uh, an ideology in, in, in society. And when I just think about myself, when I was starting to go into a relationship and I'm starting to try to adapt to all those expectations as a man, of course they have influenced me. Everyone is fine. I mean, they, they yeah, know what they're right. doing. And he got so scared that you run away from the table. What? <laughs> There's something uh, that I'm quite proud of is that I have never killed any of my characters. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think that's very uh, uh, odd when it comes to uh, movie making. So, and I can... I can just tell you that any movie you will see in the future of me, I will never kill any character. So you don't have to be worried about that. You have to be worried about shame. You have to be worried about like losing face in front of each other. And I think that's, that's probably something that we sometimes are even more scared of mm. than, than death. Uh, so it, it, still, it's a very horror movie, but no one is killed. <laughs> it was quite interesting because I, I watched the film with my, my girlfriend sitting next to me and we, and we talked about it afterwards. Yeah. And we, we both had a slightly different take on it, which I suppose, yeah. is, that, is that something you found? Yeah, I mean, I said, when we started the project, I said that we had two main goals with the film. The first one was to create the most spectacular avalanche scene in film history. 
And the second one was that we should increase the percentage of divorce in society. <laughs> now, when I introduce the film, when I go to the screenings, I often say that you could use the film as a relationship test. Instead of spending like 10 or 20 years together and then break up, maybe first May can make you come to a quick decision. <laughs> Have, have you been surprised by its success? Well, I'm really happy about it. And I also, I'm, I mean, it has been going really, really well in the cinemas also. So I think it's the first time that the distributors are making money on any of my films. <laughs> and that's, that's, of course, that's good. And I mean, my previous film play, I was investigating stereotypes when it came to skin color and black boys, playing along with a stereotype, using the stereotype that is around black skin color in our society. It's interesting to see that as a topic that is really, really important in, in society today doesn't actually fit that good into the to distribution system of cinema. But as soon as you take a ski resort, you take a five-star luxury hotel, you take a nuclear family people are very attracted and go buy tickets to it. So it's also about the topic that something gets mm, um, uh, successful. And we have to not forget about that. But what I think that I'm most surprised of is like the kind of success it have had in the US because uh, I have never been aiming for like Hollywood or that part of the movie industry. I've always thought that they will never like my films. But yeah, with Force Majeure, they have been very, very uh, positive does that open up interesting questions of where you go next? Uh, there's a lot of scripts that are sent to me and a lot of them always ends with, you know, when you read the synopsis, it's like, and it's also a love story. And it's like, why <laughs> is it also a love story? And I, but uh, but there, there, I think there's something that is a quite big problem in our business and the way that media is treating our business is that the ultimate goal for everything dealing with cinema is is the Oscars and Hollywood. I mean, I know so many people that have tried to move over to LA, have made a couple of films and then came back to Scandinavia and just were unhappy. You know, there's like this ratio when it comes to films that are made. For an example, if you look at Sony Pictures in the US, they are making one out of 36 projects that they are starting. So there's a lot of people working with developing, working with writing, and the project never happens. Mm. So, so that's like the thing that you have to balance with. But because, of course, I'm interested in the kind of distribution system they have in the US. And, of course, I'm interested in, in, in spreading the film to a lot of different more countries. But still... You have to control uh, a production uh, mechanism that looks totally different from what I'm used to in Sweden. Mm. So maybe I, I, I'm, I'm just in the startup of my new project and I'm thinking of, should I make an English language film or should I make a Swedish language film again? Th that, that, that's the dilemma. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you for certain, I've never been on a skiing holiday and I'm never going on a skiing holiday. <laughs> and I don't know if I should be happy about that because, you know, all my friends in the, in the ski world... Because I said also in the beginning that I wanted to uh, lower the, 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 the percentage of the ski travels. But they were so mad at me. Why do you want to do that? So I, I'm not happy to hear that you're not going. I think you should go on ski holiday. There are some qualities, actually. But don't go with your family. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From a deconstruction of the nuclear family unit on holiday to a film that gently satirizes the art world in 2017's Palm Door winning film, The Square. The square is a sanctuary of trust and caring. Within it, we all share equal rights and obligations. Let's step inside its boundaries. I wanted to put myself into a, a corner with the situations that Christian is handling in the film. Uh, it's interesting how we look at him. If we think that he's, uh, oh my God, I don't like him, I don't like him. Uh, or if we think, oh, oh my God, I would do the same thing, I would do the same <laughs> thing. And the last thing is what I want the audience to think. <laughs> in The Square, we follow the life of Christian, a prestigious Stockholm Museum's chief art curator, who finds himself in a time of both professional and personal crisis as he attempts to set up a controversial new exhibit. The film features additional performances from Elizabeth Moss as journalist Anne, Dominic West as artist Julian, and Terry Notary as Oleg, whose animalistic performance steals the film and features on the film's poster. What are the biggest challenges in running a museum? We're a museum of modern and contemporary art, so we need to present art that is the art of today, art that is absolutely cutting edge, and the competition is fierce. I once again joined Ruben to discuss the origins of the square. Could you explain where the concept of the square itself came from? Yeah, it came from when I was doing a feature film called Play. And Play was inspired of true events where there was a group of boys robbing other young boys in the center of the city where I live in, in, in Sweden, in Gothenburg. And I read through the court files uh, of these robberies and what you could tell was that it was very seldom that any adult interacted with the kids and tried to stop the robberies. Mm. And this was even though that these robberies were going on for three years' time. It never happened that the kids were asking adults for help. So it was like the, uh, the kids' world and the adults' world were taking place in two parallel levels. Mm. And then I, I talked to, to my father about this, and he told me the same story that also is in the square, that when he was six years old and he was brought up in Stockholm during the 50s, his parents put an address tag around his neck wow. and sent him out to play all alone. And he described it as that back in the 50s, you looked 
are other adults as a potential helper to you, your kid, uh, that they would help your kid if you ended up in trouble. Then a friend of uh, mine and, and me, we came up with the idea that we should create a symbolic place that reminds of that another social contract is possible. And this symbolic place was like a white marked square. We should uh, try to build up an agreement around it that if someone is standing in the square, then it's my obligation to address this person and ask them, how can I help you? So, so it could break the bystander effect. And I never considered this as an art piece. I would like to compare it more with a pedestrian crossing uh, because, you know, a pedestrian crossing is a very beautiful invention. If you think about it, we, we just take it for obvious that it ex exists, but the invention is a genius. You know, with a couple of lines in the street, we have managed to create a social contract that the car drivers should be careful with the pedestrians. And if you look at the traffic rules, it is quite extraordinary that, that, that we agree on them. All the cars here are driving on the left side of the road. Isn't that great? <laughs> in Sweden, everybody's driving on the right side of the road. And in Sweden, we actually changed from left-hand traffic to right-hand traffic uh, during one night in the 60s. <laughs> so the state went out and said, tomorrow, everybody's going to drive on the right side of the road. And there were actually less accidents the upcoming weekends than it had been in the history of traffic in Sweden before. This says something about us, our ability of organizing ourselves and doing things, having a common project. And that is what a society is about. In order to change our behavior when we are not treating each other uh, good, then, we, then, then there's also a possibility to change our behavior by creating something that is like a humanistic traffic sign. I believe that. Of course, we have to work a lot in order to make people know about this traffic sign. It's, it's just as big work as making the people know about the traffic rules. So that's the, that, that was the starting point of the project. If you place an object in a museum, mm. for instance, if we took your bag and placed it here, would that make it art? Ah. We haven't mentioned Christian yet, and he's the character that we follow the journey through the film. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on around him within his job as, as a curator, but it's his journey and eventual possible redemption that we celebrate. Yes, I think that, uh, I mean, I, when, when I've been writing both uh, Force Majeure and The Square, I have had like the, the, the main character or the one that we are following through the film is a male uh, character. And uh, I think that I have written him quite much from experiences that I've had myself of being in a, in a, in a power position, so to speak and how I have been dealing with moral and ethical questions on an individual level, at the same time that I also believe that these humanistic values are mm. important. I think most of us believe that, because I think it's more interesting to challenge myself than, than trying to have a character that have a specific background that I don't share. So, so I wanted to put myself into a, a corner with the situations that Christian is handling in the film. And, but, and I think it's interesting when... If someone is doing wrong or trying to deal with these situations that he's dealing with, uh, it's interesting how we look at him. If we think that he's, uh, oh my God, I don't like him, I don't like him. Uh, or if we think, oh, oh my God, I would do the same thing, I would do the same <laughs> thing. And the last thing is what I want the audience to think. <laughs> I need to talk about the the scene that's on the poster behind me. That It's kind of like symbolic of at least some of the things you're trying to achieve with the film. We, we have a performance artist who is being an ape, a chimpanzee, and challenging 
everyone in this bourgeois dining room. The amount of tension and oh, drama that's kind of created by this challenge. Yeah, but it's interesting to talk about that, Sim, because I think the, the reason that the extras had the ability of playing that well, and actors also, of course, is much about Terry Norter's performance. Every time he entered that room, he was also bringing in a scary feeling that we don't know what will happen. Even though we have a very precise, uh, choreographed way of moving in the image uh, in each and every shot. But it's fun when you talk about the scene also to talk about the origin of the scene. Because when we made the square, my goal was that the film should be uh, in competition in Cannes. And I love the idea that we will have a tuxedo-dressed, black-tie-dressed audience watching another black tie dressed audience <laughs> trying to deal with this crazy performance artist. Yeah. So, but but my feeling when when I was at the Cannes screening, it was like they didn't realize that they had a black tie on them in the audience. <laughs> they were just watching. <laughs> When you have actors like Elizabeth Moss and Dominic West coming into this film, where do they come into the process and how do you guide them into your world? I think that one thing that I was a little bit nervous when it came to both Dominique and Elizabeth was that they should be like guest appearance uh, of uh, more famous actors. I did improvs with them when I was here in London, uh, like before we started out with the shooting. They were just so good. So I felt when I watched the material of those improvs that I, I have to take the risk. I have to try to put them in the film anyway. When we were starting to, to shoot the scenes, I felt like as soon as I believe in them, as soon as I believe in the setup of the scene and I believe in that they are there and I believe in their actions, then I never had that guest appearance mm. uh, feeling to it. Then I just saw the character that is Elizabeth is creating. I think she's actually the one of the few that really creates a character in the film. Mm. Uh, also, also Dominic because he's playing like a version of Julian Schnabel. Yeah. Then, then I stopped being scared, mm. and then I started to have really, really fun working with them. <laughs> Do you just go have sex with just anybody? Excuse me. Do you just go have sex with lots of other women? Um, is this something that you do a lot? Kind of private question, isn't it? Uh, well, so is being inside me. Pretty private, so... But where's the uh, connection there? I'm asking how often you do that. Obviously, you won the, the Palme d'Or, and you've just mentioned, which I found really interesting, the idea of uh, the, the, that it was kind of aimed, focused at that. Mm. But, I mean, interested to ask you your idea of success. You've now had what some would consider the ultimate prestige, your peers telling you you're very good, mm. <laughs> you're great. Mm. Do you think it'll be a struggle after this? I think since it's my fifth feature film, I, I hope it will not be. And I already know what I want to do with the next film. Mm. So if I wouldn't have an idea and I'm struggling to find an idea, then I would be nervous, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's harder maybe if you if you win that prize too early. Um, because then 
now I have worked in a way and found out how I want to work and I have mm. found my method, so to speak. So I feel that I can rely on that method a little bit. But when you make your first film, you, then you're quite lost after the film is finished. Mm. So then it would be something different. And now it's an interesting, uh, interesting when you talk about this because, because we can take up a little bit what it is like to be a director. Mm. Because being a director is like you are, you're dealing with so much psychological pressure, so it's crazy. And uh, I have to tell you a little anecdote that is about mm -hmm. a friend of mine uh, that was went to the same film school as I did. He was starting to work on a, a feature film that was a script that he didn't read, write. Uh, and every day he got driven by a driver that took him to the set. And it was like a half an hour drive. And when he started out, he felt like, oh my God, this film is going to be so bad. <laughs> he felt that already from the beginning. And this is feelings you're struggling constantly with as a, as a director. Mm. Uh, so it's nothing unusual. But, and then when he was going day one, day two, day three, and he just like felt it going really, really down the drain, this film, it's going to be awful. Came to a point where he stopped putting on the car belt because he was hoping for an accident that will save him out of this horrible situation. Luckily, no accident happened, but I think it's pointing out exactly the kind of pressure that you're mm. dealing with. Yeah, I wouldn't like to do your job. <laughs> <laughs> I know why, and I often think when I'm getting into that car that is supposed to drive me to set, then I'm seeing like people that are cutting grass and like there are lawners, and uh, and I feel like why did why did I choose this job? <laughs> but, yeah. The Square is a film of fantastic and farcical encounters, making this unique cinematic journey through the art underworld. To sum up, Ruben Oslund's films are a joy to behold and, as he mentioned, no one ever dies, which can only be a good thing. I'm Ben Eshmaid. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.